Good morning. Let me get organized here. I'm actually going to time myself today because we've got a little bit of coldness. So, yeah. Um, so I look out, and so many of you actually are younger than me, but I want to bring up a quick, a quick uh, TV series. When, when I was a little boy, I used to watch this uh, TV series called The Fugitive. Does anybody remember that? Ah, okay. David Jansen, I think it was. So he was a doctor, Richard Kimball, and he, um, his wife was killed by this one-armed man. And so it was like a home invasion. So, so this doctor ends up being accused of it, of killing his wife. And he, he goes on the run. And during this time, he's stopping in all these little hole-in-the-wall towns, you know, finding odd jobs to do until he sees a wanted poster of himself. And then he takes off again. And every now and then, he, he runs in, has an encounter with this guy he's trying to, to catch. So when I was little growing up here in Auburn, I thought that this one-armed man, I thought he was really super cool and he always he seemed he had this like this wool coat on that he would wear all the time and his and his arm was always like flopping around when he ran or walked and so I wanted to imitate this guy like super bad I wasn't going to cut my arm off but I I really wanted to imitate him you would think that I'd want to be the good guy right but I've always been the bad the bad Robert right so I didn't want to be the good guy. I wanted to be this one-armed man. So my mom gives me this wool coat of my dad's. And I, I, I'm running around in, in Auburn at my parents' house in the middle of summer. And this thing probably went down past my knees. And I'm dodging bushes and trees and I'm pretending to be this guy. Because I really wanted to imitate him. Didn't we all want to imitate somebody? At one point in our lives, maybe even today, maybe a mom, a dad, a sibling, boss, a teacher that we wanted to be like, might it be even someone we don't even know. In today's modern world, we have idols on social media, right? But we wanted to learn so much about them to be just like them. And I'm not saying that these people don't deserve to be recognized. But there's not one of them, not the mom, not the dad, the sibling, the teacher, the athlete, the pastor, the model, the singer. None of them can compare to the greatest person that we as Christians should want to imitate, which is God himself. So we should want to imitate his character, his grace, his love, his mercy, and his holiness. And in this passage... Peter's going to give us some instructions on how we can try to do that in our lives today. If you look at verse 13, it starts with, therefore. So Peter is just, he just finished describing the good news of salvation through Jesus in verses 3 through 5. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed 
in the last time. So now Peter is calling us to a new way of living. He's calling us to, to, to live a holy life. And he gives us five ways in this passage that we should try to be living. When we read this short passage, we can look at this and think, I got this. I've been doing this for 20 30, 40 years. I have got this figured out. I got it down. I got it all together. Maybe this really isn't uh, for me. So I did a little evaluation of my life. And I looked at these five things that Peter talks about. And I actually realized, man, I need a lot of improvement in, in, in all five of them. And so I want to encourage you this morning to really think about them as we go through it and, and kind of do evaluation on them and how you're doing in your walk with God with these, these five things. Because you might come away with finding out possibly a little more about your walk than you realized. So Peter starts off and he says, and, and he tells us that we need to prepare our minds in verse 13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. The King James Version says, gird up the loins of your mind. So in the first century, a man might wear a long tunic and, and it went down past his knees. And they wore it down until work or war, which they would then gird up their tunic and tuck it into their belt so they wouldn't get tripped up. Modern equivalent could be like, let's, we need to roll up our sleeves, we need to put on our work clothes, and we need to get to some serious, serious work. So what verse 13 itself does, it's a call to action for us. It's a call for action to be, to be vigilant on our thought life. So how can we, how can we do this? It can be challenging, but we need to figure out how we can discipline ourselves and discipline this thought life. We have to try to control what we think about and, and not have this, this wandering mind. At least I have a wandering mind. The scripture tells us it's going to be a huge battle with the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians 5.17 it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. It's powerful flesh that we live in. We underestimate it. Which actually this brings me to my first point is how, what can we do? How can we try to discipline our, our thought life? It seems easy enough, but it always isn't. It, it, discipline requires training, right? And um, always having our our, 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 our vision on Jesus can really help us. You know, there's athletes who train for six hours a day. They'll train two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and two hours in the evening. It, it's probably their job. But what if we kind of 
went with that pattern and tried to stay focused on God for six hours out of our day. I think we give six hours to a lot of other things, but can we actually prepare our minds? Can we give God six hours of our day in things that we do? If we're grocery shopping, if we're out in our yard, if we're working, what can we do? We could pray for divine appointments in the stores. We could pray for our coworkers. We could meditate on God's word while working in our house and in our yard. We have to show up every day for this, this battle. Like we, we're going to fall down and we have to get back up. There's no quitting. We have to stay focused. And we start our, we start our day with God. So starting the day with him, try to get rid of negative distractions. One of the best things I've found for myself is to serve him. When you're serving the Lord, you, you, you can just stay so much more focused and try to remove these sinful patterns that we might have in our lives. So Peter goes on, still in verse 13, and, and he says, and being sober-minded, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded. This is a call to abandon and remove things in our lives that dole our, our spiritual senses. In other words, to be free from anything that could cloud our moral and spiritual judgment. Don't let ourselves be impacted by something that will cause us not to practice sound judgment. I think we all know the opposite of sober is, is drunk. And so in today's society, like there's so many things that can make us fall into spiritual drunkenness. We have social media. We have certain books that honestly we probably shouldn't, maybe we shouldn't look at or read. And even movies that we probably shouldn't watch. TV shows we probably shouldn't watch. And honestly, there might be a person in our lives that, that we really shouldn't hang around too much. Most of us might be far away from um, uh, drug, how drug use affects a person. Um, but if you've ever known anybody who tried to get off a drug, it can be really challenging. All these things that I just listed are still a, can still be addictions. S social media, books, movies, they can all still be addictions. I have a family member who's in his 30s who was a heroin addict. And um, I watched that addiction. And, you know, it can get pretty ugly. They will steal from you. They will lie to you. They will rob you. It can get pretty, pretty heavy. But so can these other things, especially if we're putting them before God. So I just, if you have some type of sin in your life, just don't think that you have a handle on it. Right? Don't think I've got this under control. Because it will tempt you every day. And this is one of the reasons why we need to train our minds. In 1 John chapter 2 verse 16 it says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. An athlete again will train for weeks, months for an event. Years ago I used to uh, compete in um, long distance mountain bike racing. 
So we never did anything less than 12 hours. It would be 12 or 24. I would train for weeks and weeks for this event. And then when it was finally over, I, I would take a week off and rest because I needed it. So we can't take a week off, right, from our training. We can't. We can't take a week off from, from God. We're constantly training, constantly training our minds, practicing self-control to obey him instead of being controlled by the desires of the flesh. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. We do need some walls up around, up around us. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, no matter how comfortable your walk is, some things we can do. We have these issues. Confess our weaknesses to God. Right? Renew our mind with his word and pray for the Holy Spirit to help us. Be prepared, sober-minded, and ready. Leave the junk behind, right? What the world offers. Remember the promises of God. In Hebrews 4.15, it tells us we have a high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So Peter moves on and, and he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Your hope fully on the grace. So this hope that Peter is, is talking about, this is not a emotion. This is not a worldly hope. Like, I hope I, my team wins. I hope I can go to this event. I hope my wife or husband makes me dinner tonight. This focus of this hope that Peter talks about is not on us. Th this, this hope that Peter talks about is on Jesus, right? And, and his glorious return. This doesn't, this doesn't mean, like, we have this hope. We know where we're headed. But it doesn't mean that, that, that we just sit back and wait for his glorious return. There is things to be done. There's things to be accomplished. We don't want to try to escape from things of today to where we're only concerned about getting to heaven. We're his children. We're servants. There's work to do for him. There's a gospel to be shared to an unbelieving world. And honestly, that alone, that alone should help us live for right now. Charles Spurgeon has a, um, an illustration that he had in one of his sermons. And he says, One day, many years back, a thick darkness came over the United States. And now and then in London, we have dreadfully dark days for which we can scarcely account. But this was quite a new experience for the New Englanders and caused a terrible sensation. So exceedingly black was it that the barn door fowls went to roost in the middle of the day. The darkness grew worse and people trembled in their houses, declaring that the end of the world was coming. They were all excited and alarmed. 
one of the houses of legislator, they adjourned under the belief that the day of judgment was here. The other house was sitting and the blackness was so intense that everybody was just awed by it. A motion was made that they should break up because the end of the world had certainly arrived. Colonel Davenport objected, saying the judgment is either approaching or it is not. If it is not, there is no cause for adjourning. And if it is, I choose to be found doing my duty. I wish, therefore, that candles may be brought. It is dark, but whatever is going to happen or whatever is not going to happen, it let us all be found girded up, sober-minded, and hopeful. In these dark political times, these dark religious times, I call for candles, for we mean to go on working. This, this is not a sprint, our Christian life. It's not a quick race. This is an endurance event, isn't it? It can be difficult, and it can be really dark and really, really long. But in the meantime, we have to try to preserve Persevere, I'm sorry, expecting trials and expecting temptation. But we know who's waiting for us at the end of this finish line. If you're here today and you have put your, your faith and trust in Christ and his death and resurrection, you have, we all have a beautiful, amazing ending. I visualize Jesus standing there waiting for me and his arms are open with my dirty rags on as I break through the tape at the end of my race. That is where we want to set our hope. That hope is made possible of his death and resurrection, his victory. That is really the only sensible place to set this hope that Peter is talking about. Hope in the graces is being brought to in the coming of Jesus. That beautiful moment when everything will be fully satisfied. So Peter goes on. Finally to verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So, our lives look different. We have a new way of living. We're living for God, obedient to the one who saved us from death. We don't want to look back on how we were before Jesus. We don't want to allow sin to shape our lives. Before salvation, we were controlled by that. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. It's like, it's not just a little thing, right? It's a huge transformation. It's like, I'm going to see if I can pronounce this right. It's like a caterpillar, right? Caterpillar going to, thanks. Going into to, to, like like into a butterfly, right? Think about that. That's what our lives should be like. 
not fashioned how they once were. This is what Peter is talking about. So if there's something in your life that's holding you back from being 100% obedient to Jesus, work on getting rid of it. Obedience is a true test, but it will draw you closer to him. And this is what we want. We want to draw closer to him. We want to walk with God. Enoch in Genesis and Noah in Genesis, they walked. It tells us in scripture, they walked with God. And that, that to walk with God, this is, it implies a steady forward, right? Forward progression. Enjoying fellowship with him. This is what we need to strive for. This obedience will help us not to go backwards. Careful how we are living. In other words, don't conform to the things that used to control us. Paul uses that word in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, who is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We don't want to look like the old unsaved person. Which brings me to my second point on obedience and how important it is. We're called to it. In John 14, 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We are called to be obedient. It's an act of worship. Matthew 4.10, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Obedience is a way to show our love to him. 2 John verse 6, and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. That is a commandment just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. When we show our obedience to God, it demonstrates our faith and trust in him. And you know what? Obedience is complying even when it doesn't make sense. Have you ever actually heard from God and you like, really? You want me to do what? Not me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go to Africa, right? I'm not going to. Do you remember Joshua chapter 6? Joshua and the Israelites were on a mission from God to rid the land that was promised to them and all who was opposed. Jericho stood in the way. You're familiar with this story. You know what God commanded them to do. And they did it. But they did it out of obedience. March around the city once a day for six days while blowing trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. And then on the seventh day, march around the city seven times by another blow of trumpets and finally, all people shall shout with a great joy, and the wall of the city will fall down. Does that make sense? I mean, like, what if you heard that today? Like, you've got to get up and march around Cornerstone five times. Would you do it? I heard from God. I know it was him. Obedience. Sometimes it doesn't always make sense. But sometimes... The attitude we have to take is like, okay, I'll just do it. So Peter goes on. And he says, but as he who called you holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Holiness meaning to be set apart. 
the, the, the call to holiness for a Christian shouldn't be, it should not be a, a burden for us. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We, it, it shouldn't be a burden. Have you ever noticed that some people <laughs> in the same household, like, you know, might have the same habits or mannerisms, same humor? They all kind of like are all alike. This is what Peter, Peter is calling his readers in the same way, right? To, to be, for all of us to be more like God, to imitate him. And so we have the most perfect role model in Jesus on how we should do that. He calls us to be holy. And so what we should do is increasingly hate the sin that comes into our lives. Just like God hates sin, we should progressively hate our own disobedience. We don't, if we want to strive to be like him. Whoop. My hands were not that quick. So, we can read that about holiness and maybe get a little discouraged. How am I going to live up to that perfection? We are set apart, but we're not going to reach that until our final destination. In Jesus, we have been made holy. Salvation has already happened. Peter describes that earlier in the chapter. We're saved people. And what, what Peter is saying here is that we must live like it. We must live like we are God's children. And that along the way, we're going to have some ups and downs. And Peter says in, in chapter 2 and verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Peter knows there's going to be bad desires in our hearts, just like God knows. Some things that can help us keep fixated on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. This passage already told us a few things. Discipline, self-control, obedience, show reverence to God, flee from temptation, be filled with the Spirit, follow His Word. To be holy, we have to depend on the one who is holy. And prayfully, all these things will help us hate the sin when it comes into our lives. All this should help us live better holy lives. We need to be really linked to God. Fully devoted to Him. So the last verse, Peter says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Have you ever tried to describe God's holiness to someone? Do you have a hard time with those, with the words, coming up with the words of describing God's holiness? Distinct? Separate, in a class by oneself, to set apart. There are no rivals. There are no competition. There's no one like him. Moses in Exodus, when he and the people of Israel sang together to the Lord, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? We have a God who's so holy, he absolutely hates sin. 
Habakkuk in, in, in chapter 1 verse 13 says, You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong. A.W. Tozer in his book called The Knowledge of the Holy, he describes it this way. He does not conform to a standard. He is that standard. He is absolutely holy with an infinite, incomprehensible fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. Because he is holy, all his attributes are holy. That is whatever we think of as belonging to God must be thought of as holy. Separate from sinful mankind. Morally pure and righteous. In our lives as believers, we should want to draw close to God, but we have to hate the sin and love the righteousness. Have you ever had a time in your life where you drank a, a glass of water and you said, this is the freshest water I've ever tasted. Like maybe from a mountain spring or, or had no impurities in it. I mean, if God was water, it, it would be the most purest, purest thing. So as believers, what Peter is telling us here in this passage, as we wind it down, is that we want to mirror the holiness of God. And what a mirror does is mirror the exact detail that is before it. Correct? Likewise, we ought to mirror the image of God, if that makes sense. Meaning the image by which we pattern our lives. Isn't it a beautiful thing when you talk to someone that's a Christian that resembles Jesus? Like somebody you might know, like maybe Les Adcock or just, they resemble Christ. I mean, you see all the hope in them. You see all the joy in them and the trust that they have even during really bad hardships. That is what we want to strive for in our walk with God. So how do we apply this passage to our current situations? Peter gives us a game plan, right? He tells us, have a mindset of being prepared, prepared to obey. Have a mindset of being focused on the future hope. Of God's grace. Have a mindset of being focused on God's holiness. These three things. And being careful listeners to the Holy Spirit. We can live lives that mirror. Mirror him. We were once enemies of God. But now we are trusting in Jesus. His death and resurrection. We are his children. Brought into his family. And we're being transformed. And by, by his grace, we're being conformed to his image. We're being made more holy, more self-controlled, more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, and more patient.
So I really encourage you today, again, to take this week and do the little evaluation that I did on preparing your mind for action. Are you being sober-minded? Is your hope, where is it? Is it set on Jesus? How is your obedience doing? And are you striving for a holy life? Let's go ahead and bow your heads and pray. Father, we come to you this morning incapable to live a holy life ourselves. We ask you that you would teach us to be prepared for action, sober-minded, knowing that true hope is only in you. Help us to be more obedient to you. Show us, please, God, on how to pursue the holiness you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen.